Hi, you're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast produced by the Get Global Network. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Welcome to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. I'm a retired 20-year veteran sergeant of the Los Angeles Police Department, and I am not afraid to pull those covers back, give you an insider's perspective. I'll discuss and explain police culture, police policy, police training, and I'll help you decipher police code talk when you hear it. Now listen, that code talk could come from a police chief, a police commissioner, a sheriff. I'll help you with all of that. And I'll also, rather than just bellyache, because I don't want to come to you over and over again with just complaints, right? Things that we already know, things that they refuse to acknowledge. I'm going to also offer you some suggestions on how I think you might navigate safely through police encounters. Because listen, the goal is at the end of the day for everyone to go home safely. So let's get to it. A few days ago, I had the... um, benefit, if you will, of going on CNN, as I'm often called to do, and speak about things that are occurring as it relates to law enforcement, police activity, a mindset of police officers, that kind of stuff. And so recently I talked about the mass shooting that occurred in Texas. And so listen, folks were, they were all caught up in their feelings. I mean, the subbies on YouTube, ooh, we, they are so um, vicious and vile because, you know, they get to hide behind that computer screen and, and keyboard and the anonymity of monikers and avatars, you know, that just make no sense. And so I, I don't know who's talking to me and it makes it hard for me to take them serious. But man, were they mad at me when I just pointed out the obvious, which is this most recent mass shooter was first described as a male white in his mid thirties driving around with some kind of AR 15 type weapon in his vehicle. And in the midst of a traffic stop, which, you know, should have been something really simple and easy to do. I don't know what caught his attention, why the officers tried to initiate that traffic stop. But nonetheless, when they tried to initiate a traffic stop, this guy points this AR type rifle backwards and starts firing out of the rear window at the officers. And three officers were shot in that escapade. And then he took off. The chase was on and he commandeered a uh, postal vehicle, a postal van shot and killed the poor woman who was just trying to deliver the mail that day and um, continued on and ultimately was captured uh, somewhere near some type of a mall or entertainment center called Synergy and was shot and killed. And so, listen, I just I just asked, you know, when is uh, this current administration? Little Tink Tink, you know, the guy in the White House, when are they going to be? concerned, do something about, try to stop folks like this guy, 36-year-old male white, from driving around town with AR-type rifles in their car. 
I just asked the question and man, oh man, did they come for me? They accused me of playing the race card and, you know, they wanted me to talk about all kind of other stuff other than what I was there to talk about, which was the 36 year old male white driving around with an AR type rifle in his car indiscriminately shooting at folks. And listen, seven people lost their lives in the midst of all that. Seven people lost their lives and I think 20 plus were injured before they were able to get this guy neutralized before they were able to take him out. And so now, you know, it's been a couple of days and we're starting to hear more about the shooter. I said, you know, when I spoke on the weekend that I knew that there would be some red flags that somebody probably knew something and either didn't say anything or what they said wasn't taken seriously, right? Red flags, see something, say something, do something. Okay, so when um, people follow that warning and they say something, then there needs to be a response. And so in this instance, there was a red flag. This guy had been involved in a neighbor dispute and evidently the neighbor, a female, reportedly called the police because this guy has been seen up on his roof. <laughs> many times with this or some other AR type rifle shooting at animals that were in her yard. And so she called the police. And then at one point she said the man showed up at her door with a rifle threatening her. Now the police never came out to investigate. And it was reported that the caller suggested that maybe they couldn't find her house because it's kind of isolated. Well, I get that she might not want to badmouth the police in that town and give them the benefit of the doubt. But listen, I promise you, if it was a black man up on the roof of his house, <laughs> firing at squirrels and possums and whatever else she might've had in her yard, dogs, rabbits, I don't know. Um, but whatever it was, I promise you, if it was a black man up on the roof of his house with an AR type rifle firing into a neighbor's yard, the police would have figured out how to get there. They'd have had a conversation with him. They certainly would have had a fireside chat. And I don't think it would have ended um, with just a, hey, buddy, you know, pipe down kind of thing, right? Now everybody's trying to figure out what's the motive. What, you know, what was it that made this, this person do this? Listen, he's a wingnut. <laughs> you don't have to look far and wide to come up with a motive. Something was wrong with this guy. He's not wrapped tightly. Now, I'm not saying that he had a mental illness because we're not going to go there, right? That's the thing that Trump and his administration and Governor Abbott and others want to um, ascribe to a male, white, mid-20s, mid-30s who goes on a shooting spree is that somehow this guy was, you know, mentally ill. He wasn't mentally ill. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had sense enough to figure out how to commandeer a postal truck and kill the driver in the process. He had sense enough to shoot indiscriminately at folks as he was trying to flee the police, right? And now it's been reported that officials are saying, well, this isn't, you know, this is not really terrorism. Really? It's not terrorism. Why? Because he's a male white in his mid thirties. It's not terrorism. It's offensive is what it is. It's offensive. And uh, for those of you who were bothered by the fact that I asked a question 
as to why are we going to continue to allow male whites to drive around with automatic rifles in their vehicles and how many more like him are out there just waiting to be stopped by a police officer. You found that offensive. Get over it. Get over it. When this president was asked to comment on the shooting, the most he could come up with was, well, you know, we're pretty lucky. It could have been worse. He offers no real solutions when it's a male white in their 20s or 30s who goes on a shooting spree other than, well, you know, could have been worse. Officers uh, did a good job in um, making sure others weren't hurt. They offer a bunch of uh, prayers and, and sympathies and thoughts to the family and they make no change. They make no change. And so, you know, listen, they're not interested in doing anything different. This president and his cabinet and Governor Abbott didn't offer any real solutions because this is not a problem for them. Their loyalties are to the NRA. And they've shown us that time and time again, Governor Abbott sitting sorrowfully looking real disingenuous to me as he read off statements from the family of a 17 month old baby girl who was shot in the face by this lunatic and offered more prayers and thoughts. And this guy was being intellectually dishonest in my opinion, when he feigned concern and empathy and understanding for the family, because listen, he's had an opportunity to do something different with regards to gun laws, legislation in Texas, and he's done nothing. In 2017, there was a shooting at a church in Sutherland, Texas, and 26 people were shot. And he sat and offered those same thoughts and prayers and condolences and sympathies to the family. And instead of tightening gun laws and regulations, he's loosened them. On September 1st, just a couple of days ago, there were about a dozen different regulations that went into effect that allow people in Texas to go into churches with guns and you can take a gun on a school campus, you know, as long as you leave it in your car or something or drive around with one or they took the limit off of how many um, marshals can be armed on a school campus. It used to be a certain number and now they've just anybody that want to carry a gun on campus, please. And thank you. In the midst of an emergency evacuation, <laughs> they thought it was important in Texas to say, even though you may not be licensed to carry legally, you can take your gun in the midst of an evacuation because we wouldn't want you to have to evacuate in an emergency and leave your gun at the house, right? That too, I find offensive. And so listen, as long as um, they're the government, uh, the government, the governor, the president are in the pockets of the NRA, expect more of this. And then couple that with, you know, people who, were having a lot to say on social media with regards to what I had to say, accusing um, family members who've been victims of this mass shooter as crisis actors. I mean, that in and of itself is nonsensical because that means I guess then Governor Abbott is a crisis actor because he's on TV speaking to the fact that police officers were shot. That means the police chief over in Odessa and in Midland would be a crisis actor because they were speaking to 
their own officers being involved and injured. And so as long as you have a contingency who support this kind of foolishness and condone the rhetoric that's being spewed, nothing's going to change. I said when I was on CNN, and you can go to my YouTube channel, Sergeant Dorsey Speaks, and hear that interview in its totality that, you know, listen, if they weren't bothered by 20 babies being shot and killed years ago in Sandy Hook, what then would be a bridge too far? I don't know. I don't see an end to this. And so for that matter, whenever I'm asked, I'm going to speak truthfully about what it is that is going on and why it is that it's going on. And this most recent shooting occurred because this guy was allowed to possess weapons when he was shown that he shouldn't be in possession of them, i.e. shooting animals from the roof of his house. I'm sure um, it's reported that he had just been fired a day or two before the shooting. I'm sure there was something going on at work because why did they fire him, right? I'm sure there were some red flags. And I'm not saying that people, you know, chose to ignore him. I'm just saying that people need to be really more vigilant in speaking about things that you're not really sure if it's a red flag. Maybe it's like, you know, kind of pink (laughs) or orange, not quite red. Yeah. Before it gets to a full-blown red flag, tell somebody. And maybe you might save a life and the life you save might even be your own or that of your family. So be persistent. If you call the police because your neighbor is up on the roof of his house shooting down into your yard and the police don't come, then you need to call and ask for a supervisor. You need to call and ask for the watch commander. You need to, yeah, you need to do a little more. So I, I hope that we don't worry too much about offending others' sensibilities about not wanting to cause trouble, uh, about not getting it right. When we see something, when we know something, we should say something. So getting ready for the trial of Amber Geiger, that is the former officer over in uh, Dallas, who about a year ago allegedly entered the wrong apartment, thought she was at home, saw someone in there and fired a shot. You know what I'm talking about. Botham Jean, who was shot and killed by Amber Geiger last September under the pretext of, oh my God, I went to the wrong apartment. Listen, so jury selection begins on September the 6th and the trial will start shortly thereafter. And there's still a lot of stuff that, you know, I want answers to that haven't been properly addressed in in the public realm, if you will, for me. And so I'm going to be paying close attention to what's being said. I, I would love it if they would televise this trial so that we could watch it from start to finish and see exactly what it is. But I do believe that part and parcel of what they're going to try to do in terms of defense for Amber Geiger is to say that, you know, somehow she was confused or, you know, she purportedly worked a 14 hour shift. They keep talking about this 14 hour shift she had just completed. But here's the deal. I read somewhere that the police department address is 1400 South Lamar. And the residence where Amber Geiger lived was 1210 South Lamar, just a couple of blocks. So personally, I wouldn't give a damn if she just finished a 20 hour shift. She should be able to be lucid enough to get home and not enter the wrong apartment. And listen, don't get me started with her entering the wrong apartment because I've said before, and I'm going to say it again. I believe she had a master key. I believe Amber Geiger was uh, hired 
by that complex to work security for the complex, like a lot of apartment buildings will do. Let police officers live in there at a discounted rate. If you promise to be available and on call 24 seven, when there's some kind of disturbance in the building, I think that's what was going on with Amber Geiger, because remember, and I don't know if this still exists out there in the Internet, but I know I have a copy of it. Because I maintained a recording that I heard right after the incident was reported where Amber Geiger is on the phone with 911. And in that 911 call, Amber Geiger identifies herself as a security officer. The 911 dispatcher repeated that to responding paramedics and fire department personnel. The 911 dispatcher said security guard is on scene. She was talking to Amber Geiger. I believe in the midst of all of that going on because she was excited. Amber Geiger just said what she was. She hadn't had time to really think about it. And it was recorded. She identified herself as security. And I think if, in fact, she was security, as she identified herself on that 911 call, then that would make sense and explain to me why she had a key, a master key that would allow her to open up an apartment on a floor very different from the one she lived on. It makes sense to me. And I'm just curious to see whether or not any of that is going to come out in court and whether or not anybody else is going to ask those questions of Amber Geiger. My guess is she won't take the stand, but if she does, ooh, we please ask her about that master key and ask her about that radio transmission that she made where she identified herself as security. You're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast. We'll be right back after this brief message. Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, by author Zimmy Williams, is a book about self-improvement, self-determination, self-reliance, and personal success. Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, teaches skills in all areas of oral interviews, health and fitness, personal finance, and life management. Reading this book is truly a life-changing experience. The author of Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, Zimmy Williams, is a retired LAPD sergeant and Armed Forces veteran, having served as a member of the United States Navy. Order your copy of Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, by author Zimmy Williams. Get your copy today from online bookstores like Book Baby, Amazon, and other bookstores worldwide. Welcome back to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. On to celebrity news. R. Kelly, um, <laughs> you know, solitary confinement will make you crazy. And uh, clearly, well, I listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, but something is going on with his head because first he was complaining about, you know, his conditions, his arrangement, his living arrangement, if you will. And, um, you know, not being able to make phone calls and only being able to shower, I think, once a week and He'd only get 15 minutes of phone calls for the month. And so 
Now he wants to be put in gin pop. Now, I don't know if he really want to be in gin pop. <laughs> I don't know if that was, if, you know, that kind of request is what happens when you've been in solitary confinement. Because listen, I think gin pop is the last place he should be. There may be somebody in gin pop who might want to hurt him, who might want to make a name for themselves. Because after all, whether he thinks, you know, he did what he's accused of doing, there's others in there who won't take kindly to him. And so being removed from solitary confinement and put in general population is very, very risky in my belief. But that's what he's asking a judge to do. And so we'll see, you know, if the judge allows him to go to gin pop, we'll see. And while all of that is going on, you know, those two ladies they refer to as his sex slaves. And so (laughs) they're working mightily because it's also been reported that R. Kelly is trying to get the former uh, defense attorney, Tom Mesereau, to represent him. Now, Tom Mesereau is the attorney who represented Michael Jackson when he was having his issues. And so you understand that Tom Mesereau does not come cheaply. And, you know, you know, I don't know what these sex slaves really know about the real world. Um, I don't know if they have an understanding about legal bills, but it says that they've concocted a couple of ways in which they can generate some income. And so they're trying to do that. One of them is a a book. (laughs) They want to, they're coming out with a book and yeah, they probably don't understand that writing a book doesn't make you a millionaire either. And who wants to hear what they have to say? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody that would, you know, buy the book, but enough to afford Tom Mesereau as a legal defense attorney and, and a team, because it won't just be Tom Mesereau. You understand that. R. Kelly's facing criminal um, jeopardy in several other states. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be very expensive. He's got federal cases um, going on in Illinois, um, state court, Illinois federal court. He's got, uh, something going on in Minnesota state court. And so, um, in addition to an attorney, they're going to be in need for some forensic experts and experts in sex trafficking, private investigators to go out and interview folks and on and on and on. So, Listen, these ladies had said before that, you know, they were being paid to be um, they were R. Kelly's, quote, assistants. And um, I guess, you know, they were making phone calls and keeping his calendar straight (laughs) and they had been saving their money. Right. They'd been saving their money because he was paying for everything else. They were living with him. You know, maybe they ought to, you know, check those piggy banks and, you know, see how much jingle they got going on over there and put some of that towards a legal defense attorney, Tom Mesereau. Good luck, ladies. Good luck. Over in Phoenix, uh, there was a police sergeant who had recently been awarded a um, retaliation verdict, and it was uh, $1.5 million in a civil lawsuit. Well, a federal judge over in Phoenix just vacated the jury's decision and decided that uh, this police sergeant who actually had come to the aid of a female who was reporting sexual harassment somehow didn't deserve $1.5 million. So now that this federal judge has vacated the jury's decision, there's, there's still going to be more back and forth, back and forth. The officer is the sergeant police sergeant over in Phoenix is now appealing the judge's decision because his position is that, look, a jury decided and you can't judge, go behind the jury and then undo their good work 
right? $1.5 million in a civil lawsuit is indeed good work. I don't know what's going to ultimately happen, but I'll, you know, as I see more, I'll let you know about how that thing resolves itself. And listen, you understand civil suits, you know, can go on and on. So this thing is not done. In other police related news, there is a police officer by the name of Matthew Johns, who was recently handed a 20 year sentence. He had been indicted on eight felonies for the savage, savage beating of a 15 year old by the name of Antravius Payne. Now, this happened last year, and um, according to reports, the eight felonies that um, Officer Matthews was sentenced on included four counts of aggravated assault, two counts of violation of an oath by an officer, and two counts of giving a false statement with regards to whether or not he had repeatedly kicked and choked this 15-year-old kid. I guess he kicked and choked this kid and Till he lost consciousness and then, you know, he lied about it. Thus the giving a false statement, right? Remember giving false statement makes you what? Ineffective like officer Daniel Pantaleo who gave false statements about choking Eric Garner. It made him ineffective. And so officer, uh, former officer Matthew Johns um, was convicted. And because of that was actually sentenced to 20 years. Johns pled guilty back on July the 10th. So Officer Johns pled guilty back on July 10th, and um, he'll be serving out that 20-year sentence based on this incident that occurred back in 2016. Now, it's reported that um, Officer Johns' actions are not unique, right? (laughs) He wasn't operating in a vacuum. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution analyzed 184 fatal police shootings in the state of Georgia, and determined that since 2010, at least 70 people have been shot in the back by police officers. So, you know, this didn't involve a shooting, but it did involve, you know, an assault that seriously injured um, this 15-year-old kid. And so, not unique, not an anomaly, lots of abuses by police officers going on in the state of Georgia. And then in New York, NYPD, ooh wee, they are a different kind of breed. There's two police officers, actually they're police detectives, who were accused of raping a teen uh, in their van. And um, it's been reported that uh, after being accused of kidnapping and raping this 18-year-old young woman from Brooklyn back in 2017, that detectives Eddie Martins, who's 39, and Richard Hall, who's 34, will be on probation. They'll be on probation for five years. Now it says former, so, you know, they're not on the job anymore, but you rape somebody in the back of your van and you get probation? Really? The officers were originally charged with rape, sexual assault, kidnapping, and they pled guilty to two counts of third degree bribe receiving and nine counts of other official misconduct. And with all of that, they get probation. It was reported that the district attorney's office really did want these officers to be prosecuted and pushed for a longer term, but a Brooklyn Supreme Court justice by the name of Danny Chun didn't agree with the prosecutor's input. And so this Supreme Court justice decided to give the officers probation. And so listen, This is why I talk about all the time, you know, voting and not voting has consequences because there are uh, judges in lifetime appointments 
that are making decisions that are just bananas. And they're going to be there making those kind of decisions for a long, long time for life. So folks, when you vote and don't vote, particularly when you don't vote, then you really have nothing to say. So if you're bothered by this probation for five years and you didn't vote and you haven't voted and you're not planning on voting again in 2020, you've got nothing to say. These two detectives admitted that they had sex with this young woman and, um, their position was that it was consensual, right? Cause every 18 year old girl wants to have sex with a couple of police detectives in the back of their van. <laughs> and listen, there was a lot being said about this case because at that time it wasn't even illegal for police officers to have sex with someone in their custody. Now that since changed, but could you imagine Can you just even imagine that the fact that these officers did this in the back of their police van and they said it was consensual was not illegal at the time? Hard to imagine. What kind of message are they sending to female victims of sexual assault? When you have police detectives who admit, yeah, I did it. NYPD, I don't, I don't understand that department. I I don't get what, (laughs) what goes on over there and how they justify. I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know how they look themselves in the mirror. We heard the police commissioner just last week say that, shoot, if he was Pantaleo, he probably would have choked Eric Garner to death too. He can't say that he wouldn't. He goes, I don't know. I might've done the same thing. So you choked You joke people to death. You lie about it. You have sex with girls in the back of your police van. You know, there was another recent story about a officer who rammed a citizen on a bicycle because the citizen was, you know, doing something that the officer thought was erratic. So to save the citizen from hurting himself, he rammed him with his police car. (laughs) And then you've got Pat Lynch, a.k.a. the mouth over there at the uh, Patrolman Benevolent Association, who is just supportive of all of these shenanigans. I don't I don't see how things get any better. In other police related news, there was an article written um, by a blogger uh, in the Daytona Times, and it talked about how since 2017, there were 7000 black men and women who've been killed in the midst of a police interaction. That's why I stress comply and complain because the goal is to walk away from that encounter safely. 7,000 black men and women, according to this report, have been killed since 2017. And three fourths of the 7,000 people who were killed in the midst of a police interaction were unarmed. Now, this person is saying that in Daytona, you know, there's a long running tradition in the black community of police brutality and abuse. And on uh, August 22nd, 2017, a couple of years ago, there was a young man who had uh, encountered the police and they have yet to uh, properly resolve this deadly shooting in the minds of the family and this particular activist. And listen, there have been plenty of reports. The officer admit to shooting this kid as well as a witness who saw the incident, the police have ruled it a suicide. The police ruled it a suicide. Now, the young man's name back in 2017 was Shakiri Willis, and he had been just recently released from, it says, a Halifax medical center. He had been under psychiatric evaluation and was suffering from some mental health issues when the police encountered him. And somehow in the midst of that encounter, 
six shots were fired and uh yeah i don't know how you could now i don't know if he's got hit six times but six shots were fired and he got shot at least once in the neck so um i don't i don't know how many times he was hit and i know when you commit suicide generally you only really get to shoot yourself once so but that's their story and they're sticking to it. And so now two years later, local activists and others are asking that the case be reopened because they're in the midst of some elections over there in Daytona. And they're hoping that maybe the mayor or somebody else might intervene and help this family um, get the answers to the questions that they have regarding the fatal shooting death of their uh, loved one, Shakiri Willis. I'll keep you posted as I learn more. And speaking about um, the mouth, Pat Lynch and the uh, Patrolman's Benevolent Association on last week, uh, the 27 member delegation uh, released a vote of no confidence on uh, Commissioner O'Neill because they're still butthurt about Pantaleo getting fired. And so now they have they have come out with a vote of no confidence for the commissioner and they want him to resign And they also uh, want the governor, Andrew Cuomo, to get rid of Bill de Blasio because they blame both um, Mayor de Blasio and Commissioner O'Neill for wrongfully and without justification firing Daniel Pantaleo. And so um, the mouth, you know, he's very concerned about the morale on the NYPD and says that now as a result of Pantaleo, who is a proven, demonstrated, known liar, someone who is ineffective as a police officer on the NYPD and any other police department, be clear. Um, Yeah, they said the morale is low on the NYPD. And so they're asking the governor who's not going to do it. And I mean, it's just nonsensical that they would even, you know, mouth this, that they would even ask that uh, the commissioner resign and that, um, Mayor de Blasio be removed from office. But nonetheless, the mouth is very much concerned about the morale on the NYPD and not so much about um, the morale of black and brown folks over there in the community who, um, you know, he hasn't seen get hurt, be abused, be assaulted, be killed by a NYPD officer um, that he can't support. And so, um, I guess that's just the way it goes on the NYPD. Now it's time for Did You Know? And so listen, did you know that um, I know this thing is really popular ring, that doorbell that allows you to, you know, see someone at your door and listen, it got started for good reasons, right? You know, during the holidays, folks are having packages come up missing and somebody comes to your door or your home in the middle of the night, it would be nice to be able to have a conversation with them, if you will, from wherever you are and, and scare them away maybe. But now it's been reported. And so listen, for security, for expediency, we give up a lot, right? I know I do. You know, I've got every level of doggone clearance you can get uh, in the airport. I've got the TSA pre-check. I've got clear, you know, they, they scan my iris. <laughs> I joke that, you know, when I go through the airport, all I got to do is just sashay past TSA and, you know, wave my ass and they'll let me in because that's just, you know, how intimate we have become. (laughs) And so now for the sake of security, we're giving up some stuff and we don't even understand. Ring has developed a partnership with police departments 
And what has happened is that police officers um, can request video recorded on a homeowner's camera. Now, when they make this request and they want you to feel good about this by telling you that the request has to be a specific time and it, you know, has to be a specific area. So I guess if you have the camera, you know, focusing on different areas of your house, they can't just wholesale ask for all of it, you know, for the last two weeks, right? It's got to be a very specific time, very specific area. The fact that police departments can even get that kind of information from Ring you know, it's problematic for some people. And so there's probably some fine print for those of you family who have ring. You might want to take a look at it because you do have an option to decline, to decline the requests. And I think in their paperwork, it says something about making your neighborhood a safer place, because if you opt in ring, will send you an email saying, thank you for quote, making your neighborhood a safer place. If you've agreed to quote, make your neighborhood a safer place, that means the police department can request the video that ring obtains from your residence. FYI, FYI. And then lastly, uh, uh, second part, did you know, over in Chicago, DA Fox is right now dismissing marijuana cases. And so for those of you who may have an issue, who may have a case uh, and you didn't know, <laughs> you might want to holler at DA Fox. She's dismissing marijuana cases. So uh, Google the story, check it out. And if it, you know, it's something that you need to get her attention about, get her attention. That's it, you guys. Thank you for joining me. Uh, for those of you who are new subscribers, I'm also uh, on YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. I have a website, www.sgtsherldorsey. And thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, family, be good, be safe. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. You have been listening to the Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast, produced by the Get Global Network. Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey is a television commentator, social justice advocate, and is also well known for her book, Black and Blue Creation of a Social Advocate an autobiography of her 20-year career as a black woman on the Los Angeles Police Department. The book details what she learned as an LAPD insider. Sergeant Dorsey can be contacted through her website, sgtdorseyspeaks.com, or via any of her social media sites like YouTube and Facebook. Take the time to subscribe to her YouTube channel and also subscribe to this podcast via major podcast networks like iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and many others. The podcast is also available on wireless speaker systems like Alexa and Sonos. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.